Okay, uh, welcome back, guys, to another episode of uh, Hundred Books a Year. Today, uh, it's really exciting. Uh, I want to touch on probably the last episode on deficit miss. Um, I think it's really, really important for us to know this type of information, and it's really, really important to see how a misjudgment of policy making, right, like. Uh, even the politicians, right, from Obama to you know like Bernie Sanders to um, probably Joe Biden, they don't understand how deficit work. They like they don't understand this type of particular matter on hand, which is debt, right? Or deficit. How do we categorize it, and how do we make sense of it? So, I want to touch a little bit more on inflation. Um, Again, I'm not a macroeconomics or microeconomics, but I wanted to kind of briefly touch on what kind of a relationship between maybe the job market or maybe the um, you know overspending, like what kind of the relationship that we can think of, and how can we do to make it better for us to understand, right? So first of all. A deficit is only the evidence of overspending if it is sparking inflation. So we talked about it from a couple of days ago, right? We have some kind of a government um, regulation, but in a sense that a deficit is only has a true meaning of evidence when there is actually inflation going on. If it's not an inflation going on. Then the deficit is not a evidence of overspending; it's just a number, right? So, since the price were accelerating, then deficit should not be that big. So what that means is, if the consumer price is going up, then the deficit should not go up that much because it should go up proportionally, right? Like you know, like if one goes up by ten bucks. Then your then your deficit, right? Your overspending should go up by ten bucks as well. So, in a sense, from a relationship perspective, right? Like the higher the inflation, the lower the purchasing power, right? Higher the inflation, a bread costs twenty bucks, and then you know we only have four hundred a month for food. Then you you can buy less amount of food. That makes sense. So it also brings down the standards of living as well. So, in a sense, from low to no inflation. There's not enough spending, so it's gonna bring down the economic growth. So here's what we mean, right? So we always think that oh, we should keep the inflation low. We should keep the inflation low. But when we keep it low, there's no actual spending that's gonna drive the e- e-、uh, economy, right? So we should have inflation as a sign of the economic growth, but we should not have too much of it, right? How much is too much right now? Fed is saying is on average two percent. So before U.S. has been, you know,、uh, hanging around one point five, maybe one point seven percent. Don't quote me on that number, but that's what I was thinking. So now we're probably gonna push three to four percent within the next year or so, just to bring the average up, in a sense that to simulate economic growth. So. That is the one biggest thing I want to touch on with inflation. With inflation is that. It's an arbitrary number. It's a number that we need to have. Like that number cannot go negative. That number cannot go, you know, at like zero point something. That that number has to be 
keep kept within the one to two percent, maybe three percent range, for us to have a solid spending in terms of economic growth. Now, when we say how to regulate inflation, right? Like Federal Reserve, they cannot tax people. They cannot spend money directly, right? They're targeting at two percent inflation for maximum employment. So. This is something that I want to touch on in terms of the relationship between inflation and employment, is that if we are shooting for a two percent target inflation rate to keep at a maximum employment um, range, what does it mean, right? So it means that if everybody is is working, we should have a two percent inflation, meaning that we should have enough spending in that to keep at going at two percent. But if the Fed, if they induce too much spending, in the sense that we're gonna have a hot labor market, right? Everybody is working. There's not enough natural unemployment. That will also simulate inflation. So that is a train of thought that most people from the macroeconomics world they agree with, but the data says otherwise, right? So for example, in twenty and twelve. There was this uh, uh, macroeconomics name is Marvin Goodfriend. Uh, uh, so he warned that with the unemployment back in twenty twelve was lower than seven percent of a whole population. He is warning for inflation. So he thought the magic number is at seven percent. So if there's seven percent or lower. Um, Unemployment rate, then there's going to be high inflation. That's wrong, right? And then in twenty fifteen, the number was lower than five percent, right? That was towards the end of the Obama、uh, administration. Same thing, not much inflation. So that's just why I think that even most of the <laughs> most of the、uh, economics people they don't really. Have a clear understanding of okay, what is a like relationship between employment or unemployment, right? If you are keeping it within the well intended range, not like you know like this March or this April when there's like you know like twenty million unemployment people, right? Like that is a little bit more extreme, right? So if we can go back to that nice little sweet spot, then I think I think it will be. Better for the economy as well, and for the inflation number. So, the last example that I want to touch on is to tell you guys this, right? Is that the relationship between unemployment and inflation? That relationship is not as strong as somebody might think it is. Okay.、Um, next, I just want to touch very very briefly on the idea of a life without debt, right? Can we really do that? Can we really not have deficit at all? Can we really just have surplus every single year, right? If you think debt is a bad thing, even Obama, right, Margaret Thatcher, think that government should be budget as a household, then you know, like the national debt is a burden for our grandchildren. Then across history, what are the evidence, right? So, I'm gonna take you guys back to eighteen thirty five. So Andrew Jackson. Uh, president at at that time, it was long before the Federal Reserve has already was created, 
Um, that's the only time in the U.S. history when public debt was paid down in 1835. How did he pay it down? He paid it down by reversing fiscal deficit and paying off the bondholders. So what that means is, did you get a U.S. bond? Okay, here's your money, right? We want to pay it down. That's kind of like the old-fashioned bookkeeping, getting rid of your debt, kind of a getting into the black, so to say, some kind of a argument there. But it did not go well. So what happened is from 1835 to 1845, it took him a decade, not took him, took, took America a decade to, uh, to retire the entire debt, right? That's not like an overnight situation. So the government runs a financial surplus from 1823 to 1836. So what that means is they're taxing more money that the government can use. Hence a surplus. So by 1835, the USA was debt free. But the thing is, is we were heading for the biggest economic downturn in the US history after 1835. So why is that, right? Like from the modern monetary theory, right? Which is the, this book's author is advocating. What's the reason behind that? The reason is very simple. When we have physical surplus, what that means is it's sucking the money out of the economy, right? We talked about it from a couple of days ago. If we spend a hundred bucks and then we tax back 90, the $10 of, of a surplus is a surplus. No, sorry. Yeah, the $10 of surplus is in the environment. It's in people's hands. It's not in the government, right? So a deficit of 10 for the government, that means there has to be some number that is for the people somebody just got $10 richer, right? So whenever the government is having a surplus, what that means is they're taking money out of the economic environment. Secondly, the federal deficit is the opposite. What that means is if it's not excessive, it really helps to keep the economy going, to help the money in, help to keep the money in the economy. So whenever we have a surplus, we're taking money out of the economy. And it's actually really cool. I've drawn down this chart. I just want to share it with you guys. Um, so this chart is actually very interesting. We have the year that the debt has been paid down. We have a range. And then we have the amount of the debt paid. And then we have the year of depression began. Okay, I'm going to run this through. So from 1817 to 1821, 29% of the debt is being paid off. There was a depression beginning on 1819. From 1823 to 1836, 100% of that was paid down. There was a depression on, uh, in uh, 1937. From 1852 to 1857, 59% of the national debt was paid down. There was a depression at 1857. From 1867 to 1873, 27% of the debt has been paid. There was a depression on 1873. From 1880 to 1893, there was 57% of the debt being paid. There, uh, there was a depression and in 1983. From 1920 to 1930, there was 36% of the debt being paid off. There was a big, the, you know, the giant depression in, in 1929. So what are the patterns, right? So you see that if we attempt to pay down the debt within a time period, there is going to be an immediate depression 
either within that period or right follow to the end of the period. So what that means is if the government trying to bring down debt, there is a deep, uh, depression going to happen right after, right? The most recent example is 1998 where President Clinton paid the government, the government was in black, it hurt the private sector. In 2000, there's a dot-com bubble burst. There's like a little, like a mild depression that essentially leads to the 2008 Great Depression. Well, you know, you can say that there is a mortgage crisis. There is, you know, selling the subprime mortgage. But some, some like economics people believe that the 1998 paid off debt was actually leading to the 2000 the dot-com bubble collapse because they were, they were hurting private sector. And then those internet companies are being funded by the private sector. And for some reason, it kind of morphed into setting the stage for um, the 2008 Great Depression. So my ending talk or my ending take-home message for this is actually really simple. Is that if you guys really think about it, we made this mistake year after year, right? We have this election, right? We have the midterm election every two years. We have the presidential election every four years. Every single year, they talk about debt. Every freaking time. It has been a very, very political size issue. But the thing is, is we don't appreciate debt enough. And that's my biggest takeaway from this book is that we need debt, right? Like the whole like uh, government spend $100 and they tax by 90 the 10 dollars in deficit that really rings to to me at least that changed my entire perspective about how do we think about that and how should we think about that and the sad thing is you see this over and over again maybe less so in the 20th century the government trying to balance their pocketbook like a household like a business that is not how a government should operate and I think Obama made that mistake, right? Uh, back in 2009, trying to build out the auto, the auto uh, industry was not enough. Similar package. We just mentioned Clinton made that, made that mistake. And most of the senators, they don't understand this. They don't understand the importance of that. They don't understand the importance of monetary uh, theory, modern monetary theory. So I think... After, after reading this book, I have a clear understanding of how does inflation works and how does debt work and how does deficit work. And I think it should really benefit me like navigating through different talking heads and talking points for politics or, you know, just have normal conversation with people say, hey, sometimes it's good to have deficit, right? That means the, um, the uh, money is sitting at the environment, right, of the uh economic parameters not being held up by the government when it's not flowing around so anyway hopefully this a series make yourself more knowledgeable about deficit about macroeconomics in terms of how government should spend money how government should keep track of money thank you for listening and tomorrow we're going to start a new book all right guys bye